So my first year there, we made 93 movies in the year. And then my second year there, we made 103 movies in a year. Um, in a, that's two a week. It, it's like, it's insane. Like you will have so many things going and you still have to be taking pitches, working on everything at every stage of development. You have something in production, something in post, like something in uh, composition stage every single day of your life. Hey, thanks for pressing play. My name's Adam Klaus, and this is my podcast, So You Work in Entertainment, the podcast about jobs in the industry with the people who do them. What you just heard was an excerpt from my conversation with one of those people, Lexi Lewis. She was talking about her time at the Hallmark Channel making Hallmark movies, 103 of them in a year. Whew. I still can't wrap my head around that, even though Lexi does a really great job of explaining how a machine like that runs in the episode you're about to hear. I'll get you to that in a minute, but before I do, it's important to note that this conversation was recorded before coronavirus shut the world down. So I'm working on some shorter follow-up content right now about how jobs are different with the coronavirus shutdown, so subscribe if that's something that you're interested in hearing in the future. I also wanted to say thank you for all the positive feedback I got on episode one with Jesse Brooks. Give it a listen if you haven't. Everyone who reached out was overwhelmingly positive, uh, although I guess it would have been really weird if you would reach out to say that it sucked. But on the other hand, it's the internet, so you kind of almost expect that. I digress. If you want to support the podcast, keep listening like you're doing, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you want to go above and beyond, leave a review. But let's face it, that's really asking a lot. So for now, why don't you just enjoy the conversation with Lexi Lewis? Hello. Thanks for being here, Lexi. Thanks for having me, Adam. So you work in entertainment? I do. I work in uh, production and development production and development what specifically in production and development um, mostly with a focus on development so i'm a manager of um, creative development at a production company okay how long have you been doing that i've been doing that for about three years now not including interning but officially for three years okay so this is something you went to school for um, no, I actually went to school for musical theater performance, believe it or not. Musical theater performance. I can see that. It's kind of like, I, it carried me through and I definitely still keep that up on the side. But um, that was where I started, which is kind of unorthodox for going into the other side of camera or even going into camera at all. How did you make that jump? It was kind of a journey. So I, I grew up performing in musical theater, but I had a lot of familial pressure to do something more practical. And I also had a lot of skills and more practical things. Like I always had an inclination for strategy. And um, I was kind of a nerd in high school and loved this like fake business club that was like mock trial. So okay. you'd be thrown into a fake business situation. So I knew I could solve a problem that was just thrown at me like in 30 minutes and succeed. So um, when I followed my heart to musical theater in college, um, I started not really loving every summer going to summer stock auditions or knowing my fate for the first three years in musical theater is likely like on a cruise ship. So I started interning in LA in the summer and testing things out. And I found a development internship and realized it married like my skills in a way that I never knew was possible. How did you find the internship? My grandpa was a producer, so some, some of the film industry was on my radar, but I also went to Emerson College, so there's something they call the Emerson Mafia, okay. and I kind of dug through that mafia page of like people accepting interns for the summer and uh, stumbled across a post for a development position. Wait, is the official name for it the Emerson Mafia? It is the name of the Facebook page, and it is like commonly known in LA as the Emerson Mafia. 
Okay, I like that. It, it's, it has like um, a camaraderie and also like a threatening vibe to it, which I like both elements. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of an edge there for sure. So you said your grandfather was a producer. Did you know what that meant growing up? I feel like a lot of people grow up and they don't have any idea like what their parents do. It's like, ah, my dad works in that building, but I don't have any idea what he does. Did you know what it meant to be a producer? No, and it's it's funny too because we went on set for um, my grandpa made a movie called The Color of Magic, and we went on the set of it just like four day. And granted, I was eleven at the time, but I was like, cool. I see the cameras. I see a guy with like a boom. I see a director in a chair, like what you see on TV, and I see my grandpa watching a monitor, and everything else. I was like, I don't know. And even like even going to film school, even though I was in the musical theater focus, it was really film heavy there i didn't know that development executives were even a thing as part of like a web series or as part of a tv show or as part of a even a podcast sometimes or you know features i didn't know that that is like a huge essential position because it's not talked about and because once you hit screen so many of them like myself go by the title producer but my day-to-day is developing the actual idea and it's just not something that's like as exposed. And I wonder if kids who grew up in LA are aware of it, but it's something I had no idea what it was. Interesting. And now here you are. And here I am. Well, that's great. So you got an internship. Uh, where was your internship? The first one in LA was called Branded Pictures Entertainment. Okay. They did a combination of Broadway shows and uh, TV series and features. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it was mostly um, script coverage and putting together pitch decks and kind of they were a a little mom and pop shop because they were like five people on their team plus interns. So I also had to do things like set up the meetings, um, do the admin, call agents for actor avails. So I kind of got a taste of a bunch of different things in producing. Sure. Would you say that's a good place to start if you're interested? Yeah. And I actually was just talking to um, my sisters in college and she has a friend who wants to go into it and she is only fighting for like agency internships. And that's a good path for some, but like a lot of my friends who did that hated their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a myth that you have to start there to be in development, to be in production, to be in directing. And you really don't. Yeah, I think there are a lot of myths out there. That's a big reason for this podcast. I see the assistants at my agency and that is a brutal gig. I mean, the hours are so long. You've, you're getting paid minimum wage, right? That's kind of the standard yes. across the board. If that, because sometimes they slip by with like a weekly stipend. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. That's so sad to hear. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. So how long did you do your internship? That was a summer internship. So it was about three or four months. Um, and before that, I had interned in Broadway management and kind of like crossed that off the list as something I didn't want to do. Ooh, why, why did you cross it off? It was a little more, um, I love Broadway for being on the stage or being in the creative, but I didn't love the business of it. Like company and general management is a little more like you manage the budgets and you manage the personnel on like a, uh, very factual, like, um, yeah, administrative level as opposed to creative decisions and casting and whatnot. Gotcha. Okay. But you feel you have both sides of that, right? Is I that do. Part? I do. You just don't like it as For much. For some reason, Broadway management filtered more the creative out than the TV side of things. That's really interesting. I would think it'd be the opposite. And it might have just been the company I was at too, but sure. generally it is like um, company and general management aligns more with stage management, which isn't always creative. It's like the flow of things, the practicality of things. Gotcha. That makes sense. 
So from there, then where where did you go? I did the internship at uh, Brandon Pictures, and then I had another semester. And um, my college offered a program here in L.A. uh, where you did your last semester of your senior year in L.A. So I actually interned at Upright Citizens Brigade um, in their development department, which was a short-lived department. But they had established it to kind of get ahead of Comedy Central and Three Arts who would swoop in and take the UCB branded ideas. And they wanted to try to, like, foster their own talent and take it somewhere before those places could come to them. But it didn't work out? They, it was just small. So they had one person and then she had interns, which was, I was an intern, that were basically assistants. And that was the department. So in doing that, they found that what they were trying to combat with the Comedy Centrals and the Three Arts coming to their talent, that it it wasn't something that they could win. No matter what they did, we would source a great idea from seeing a show on a Wednesday night and approach the producers of the show or the writers of the show. And they'd be like, oh, we already have a deal with one of these companies going interesting yes i wonder about that because in we were talking about second city before in chicago or in chicago and they have an arm of that as well and i know that they were really mad initially that like saturday night live is stealing all of our people and they tried to combat that with sctv and it didn't really it didn't work in the long haul i mean obviously snl is still on sctv you got to find a diehard who knows that right um interesting so then what did you did you feel that at the time when you were at UCB doing that internship? I felt it a little bit. I was really excited just because I love doing improv, and I was so excited to again marry two things that I love, like being in development for these improv and sketch comedy derived ideas while also performing sure. at the theater. But it was like um, running a department that is small with something that is so big, it already has so much attention, it's just challenging. And they really committed full force and were like, we're going to have a five-person development team. We're going to get like someone, we're going to have a sales agent who's pounding the pavement. But they weren't big enough to match the other giants that already had UCB on their radar. And I kind of sensed that. I hoped that it would grow. But like after seeing strikeout after strikeout, I was like, this isn't going to have a lot of longevity. Sure. Unfortunately. Sure. So then after that, you you graduated? I graduated and um, did... And what's your degree in? Uh, my degree is in... So I, I started musical theater. Then my degree is actually like BFA theater and performance with a dance minor and a business minor. So just kind of like a strange thing to throw on paper. Is it that kind of thing where it was like, all right, if you take this one class, you get a dance minor? I Well, with musical theater, you had so many required dance classes. So when I dropped it, I had already fulfilled the requirement of all the dance classes. So I had taken like nine dance classes. Nice. And yeah, the business was a little like, if you take these three classes. That's why I have a business degree. And they, they were like, well, if you go to Ireland for 10 days, then you can get a triple major. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Uh, where's yeah. the downside in any of this <laughs> and we, so we had like we had a class that it met the trip was like in the middle of the semester and the class met for the beginning like the it was like cultural awareness of ireland class <laughs> it was just such a joke and i think it even met like at night and there you know like people didn't show whatever and then we get to ireland and half the people who took the trip were so drunk out of their minds like they would miss the things in the morning they were, it's like hey we're gonna go check out this this castle and they're like oh man but we were out until four in the morning drinking guinness and we're not going to get on the bus for that I, it blew my mind huh. i was like come on guys you're who knows how many times you're going to be here and you're going to miss the sights because you're getting drunk in a pub you're going to miss your cultural awareness of ireland the culture of drinking over there 
was not this this like you know we're slamming shots and doing all this so they were just like this rowdy group of americans that like stumbled into every bar and just got hammered and then didn't <laughs> didn't take in any of the culture wreaking havoc yeah i mean they could have got the same thing from like an irish themed bar in nebraska it would yeah. have been exactly the same but anyway teach their own so do you use your dance minor at all i haven't in a while i love dancing i danced my whole life um and a friend and i a friend of mine and i are always like let's go to a millennium class and then we like chicken out millennium is a studio in north hollywood that like all the big dancers who are like in music videos and backup dancers go to but you can just drop in like a yoga class and pay for it um but it's a little intimidating having been like out of it for so long so um definitely but that's the kind of thing where nobody cares right i think if you stand in the back no one cares i think that there are like eyeballs on the people who are like oh i see you in justin bieber's video and like i'm gonna watch you the whole time because you're amazing and no one would care about me i would just like blend into the background i didn't do yoga for the longest time because i thought that it was everybody was going to be like laughing at the at the pudgy kid who couldn't do any of the moves (laughs) couldn't be further from the truth nobody cares whatsoever yeah oh yeah definitely yoga like everyone's like in their zone on their own mat yeah, but I suppose a dance class is a little different, huh? I don't know. Maybe, and I haven't been, so I can't truly say. This is true. Well, maybe maybe one of these days you make it to Millennium. Yeah, 2020 resolution. There you go. So then after you graduate, how do you? where do you go from there? Do you use your UCB contacts to get in? So I graduated, and I was kind of hoping that the UCB would roll over into something because a lot of my friends, that happened for them, and it didn't just because the department was so small. I think at that point they were starting to maybe get word from up top that they weren't going to last so long. So I kind of stayed on half like part-time as an assistant doing things a little bit here and there. And then I started picking up PA gigs because while I was interning in the summers here, I would PA on the side. Okay. So I had a bunch of friends who were also doing it. We were all on like an email blast that I don't know how anyone would get on it other than knowing someone on it. The Emerson Mafia. You got to go to Emerson. That's what we're learning here. Yeah, that's where you got to start at Emerson. Today's episode is sponsored by Emerson. Yes. (laughs) So I did like just odd like small PA gigs, everything from like a medical informational, um, like PSA kind of thing for a doctor to like an indie and then like a web series. But I would just pick those up and try to meet as many people um, on those sets. Meanwhile, accessing the UCB contacts and the Emerson contacts just to take general meetings with people just to be like, I just graduated. I am looking for a job, but mostly I just want to hear about what you do. And how you got to do it. And what did you learn from those conversations? It's a little bit of like, it's a similar philosophy to what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, but, that's what um, I was interested in. And sometimes I was like really grateful and really blown away by the information I gained. I felt like I had someone I could really talk to. And sometimes it was the the myths, like just kind of being like, well, you really got to start an agency. Or this business is really hard. Or people who were like, took the time with me, which I was grateful for, but didn't really want to share a whole lot about like the truth of where they got where they were did you find that there was like a generational divide there yes um especially and this is really unfortunate um and i found this in my business classes in college and it's something that i hope dissolves but like older women to me a younger woman i feel like i got a sense that maybe they felt like they had to fight for it in such a way that they wanted me to have to fight for it in such a way kind of like they paid their dues so you should have to too yeah 
Oh, that's that's unfortunate. Which is like a little bit of everywhere in any industry. You got to like work sure. your way to the top. But there's sometimes you come across someone where you're like, it's a little it feels a little more old fashioned than that. Sure. So then how did you did one of these PA jobs? And when you're PAing, this is like you're grabbing people coffee and you're this is not glamorous work. Yeah, right? no, it's everything from just like chasing the holding the cable for the guy who's like I did a couple broadcast PA gigs and like helping run the cable or like, yeah, take carrying eight coffees and hoping I don't spill it on myself as I run through like the Staples Center or just something as silly as like make sure this door doesn't slam because we're shooting in the room. So be in the hallway. And if someone slams the door across, you got to stop it before because the sound is that sensitive or just like stand here and tell people to turn around if they're trying to come in this room. Sure. So do you have like a, a favorite anecdote from PA that you'd care to share? I think that was the I like worked the weird medical video that um like a roundabout like my dad met a guy who knew another guy who happened to need a PA and it was at the Georgian Hotel in Santa Monica. It's like the turquoise one okay. off the boardwalk and I didn't know it was a medical video so I showed up and it was like a middle-aged doctor um a really small crew and I was the only woman there. And then my job was to just stand in the hallway for like eight hours and make sure that the bathroom door across the hall, because it was a hotel lobby, they were shooting in one of the rooms, didn't slam. So my whole day was just like running back and forth, like to catch a door. Gently catching and a door. And I got paid like 300 bucks. Oh, wow. That's pretty good for pa <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. Did you think you had a future in door security? Yeah. At, at that point, I was like, I'm going to take a closer look at my life. Yeah. I can see you'd get stars in your eyes after an experience like that, I for mean, sure. Easy money. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. What what was the worst PA job that you had? I mean, anything that involved the one uh, I PA'd the ESPY awards at the Staples Center, which was a cool experience, but broadcast is intense. And that one I had to do like five coffee runs with 10 coffees each. And I did spill like hot coffee, hot tea on myself. And I remember like I thought I was done. I was delivering all the coffees. I'd gotten like burnt by some of it. And I went to like offer the last coffee to a guy and when he took it he spilled it on me and I was like oh man <laughs> long day of and it just felt so like PA cliche yeah of like yep I just ran a bunch of coffee orders and of course they spilled on me man that blows uh you would think that the SBs would be a cool gig because I mean that's like I mean all in all it was and I was it was the days that were we were setting up that were a little trying and it, it was really the coffee but it was cool to be in like the energy of broadcast as opposed to like the web series or the indies. Sure, sure. Did one of those PA jobs lead to your connection that got you into? No, actually one of those general meetings I took through like a friend of a friend, I sat down with the head of programming at Hallmark. And that was right when I graduated. And that was more like a, hey, I'm setting out. These are the things I found myself to be good at. These are the things I'm interested in. And she was someone that like, after I worked at Hallmark, I learned that she's always busy, but she took like three hours and we talked just about everything. Like she had gone through, like she worked in the music industry and then she worked in other sides of TV and then found her way to Hallmark. And she gave me so much of her time and it wasn't even an interview. But then like six months went by and I kind of kept in touch just here and there to just be like, thank you. That was really great. And like something you said stuck out and it landed me this job because I remembered how to present myself in this way or something like that. And since we stayed in touch, she reached out when there was an opening at Hallmark. Wow. And so you would just like at any you would kind of find a random reason to contact her about. Yeah. about being grateful for that conversation like if she had told me um like she loved stevie nicks 
or right uh, she also loved taco bell which is like a funny thing but wow. i'd be like oh they're opening a taco bell cantina the one with alcohol or like as professionally as possible but we had established a over the three hour conversation yeah, sure. i was like you're someone that i can be a little bit more like i can tell you about a taco bell yeah. not like hello my name is lexi lewis so i would find a reason to stay in touch with her not excessively but just so over as time passed that I she wouldn't forget who I was or wouldn't like I wouldn't fall off her radar. Definitely. And how many f for that one like really solid connection that you yeah. had from all of those generals that you took? How many would were like on the other side of like, eh, that's not going anywhere. I'd say like of all of them, there were like two that were really solid. A similar experience with another woman who like we really connected over a love of Broadway, talked forever, stayed in touch with her. But the rest of them were kind of ranging from like okay, you wanted to move on to your next meeting. I'd say like maybe 15%, 10% of them were like, oh, I really feel like I can, I can reach out to you again. That's a good lesson to hear, you know, one out of 10. If you realize that, it takes the pressure off of feeling like you have to network all the time. I feel like that's another one of the myths. And I think it's great to make connections with people, but people who are like, I just want to be networking all the time. That's not really the point because you could sit down for coffee with someone and it's just you go through the motions you ask them a couple yeah, questions and then like you don't really connect but if you meet someone and you have something in common and you know that they're either somewhere you want to be or in a place you want to be or in a job you want to be and you feel like you have a true connection with them that's the networking opportunity to embrace because that is something that might spark and then carry you forward to something yeah i feel like networking always feels dirty yeah but then I realized, like, I just very recently, actually, I was like, it's just like having a conversation. And when you realize that, like, your hit rate is not going to be 100%, cool, cut yeah. ties and move on. Like, if you're at a party, it's like, oh, you talk to somebody for a while, find a reason to leave. May who knows? Yeah. Like, if it's not going well, oh, hey, I have to run to the restroom. Cool. You're out of that one. You're on to the next. Yeah. And it's not this, like, it doesn't have to be this dirty, like, what can I get from you kind of thing. It's like... Hey, w let's get to know each other. Maybe there's a common ground. If not, cool. Exactly. So that led to the job at Hallmark, yes. obviously. And where did you start at Hallmark? So I started as a coordinator in programming and development. Coordinator means a lot of different things in the industry. Um, I was more familiar with it on the production side of like putting together the call sheets and like the, you know, a little more admin, like really coordinating how it went together. This was a creative position, more like a junior executive. And I remember my first day I like had to do script notes and um, I was combining notes from three different executives and they're like, and put your notes in too. And I remember going home being like, oh, this is like way more than I expected and being a little nervous and sure. I knew I could do it, but I had expected that I'd be like rolling calls or sending emails or setting meetings. And I wasn't expecting to be like thrust into like a junior executive creative role. Definitely. How did you find that switch? I find like sometimes I have a hard time switching. Like when I was an intern, it's really cool because nobody you know, expects you to know anything at all. You can ask any questions that you want. And nobody's like, ah, oh, this intern doesn't know anything. So it's like, yeah, he's an intern. He doesn't know anything. But I find that th I found that there was this point in my uh, career where I had to switch into this like, oh, I'm the guy who's getting paid to give an answer now. Was that moment there when you had to give the notes or did it take a while? It took a while because I was still pretty freshly out of college. I was the youngest person at the in the department and one of the younger people at the company. So I had a version of like intern hangover where I would be a little like passive or like 
try to ask for way too much permission when I really should just be like doing the thing or speaking up or not at least because I never have a problem speaking up and I feel like I do it respectfully but there was like an element of like apology of like I'm sorry to butt in here and that took a long time to shake luckily I had people being like no like this is your job go for it that's great but it is like a weird transition especially if you're at at a competitive company or like in a competitive department where people aren't always going to push each other up and it's hard if you're like fresh off of the intern circuit to remember that like you said like okay no like people are paying me to do this Mm -hmm. they they have decided to pay me to do this they want to pay me to do this so do it it's like a little imposter syndrome definitely do you still fight that at all today when i started my new job so i went from coordinator at hallmark uh, to senior coordinator and then i jumped to a manager position which i'm in now where it's just me i like i'm an executive producer on my movies like everyone comes to me for final say and the first couple weeks i had to remember like okay like fake it till you make it a little bit but also like you know way more than you think you know and just like remember to be confident with it but it is hard because i am still young in the scope of the people i work with sure so just to remember like if i'm on the phone with them like they don't know you're five feet tall and like (laughs) look like you're 12 uh so just tell them like it is but it is uh, a reminder and i feel like it just is a thing that comes with still like breaking into things or anytime you transition to another uh level of something or another way of doing something sure so what was that transition like from coordinator to senior coordinator at hallmark how long did that take um i was there for about see like there for about eight months so it was kind of a fast promotion which i was really grateful yeah under a year Um, especially for your first job but Hallmark was like a crazy, each person individually had 30 movies that they were monitoring. They made, they, uh, the, my first year there, we made 93 movies in the year. And then my second year there, we made 103 movies in the year. Um, in a, that's two a week. It, it's like, it's insane. Like you will have so many things going and you still have to be taking pitches, working on everything at every stage of development. You have something in production, something in post, like something in uh, composition stage every single day of your life. Are you working crazy, crazy hours? Yeah. That was part of my decision to change jobs, but it was like, it was a 24-7 job. Wow. And with really no reprieve. Like, if I didn't work on the weekend, then I would get there on Monday and I'd be behind. Yeah. It's not like somebody else was making those decisions for you. They're just stacking up on your desk. Yeah. Interesting. So you leave Hallmark and you go to where you are now. Yeah, Real One Entertainment. And tell me what, like walk me through a a typical day or maybe a typical week just to, I feel like the, you hear development manager, you hear, you know, I'm in production development. It's like, I I know what that is, but wait, I don't know what that is. Right. And it's funny because like my job, even in my job has a bunch of different titles. Cause like once we hit the ground on production, I'm executive producer, which means one thing while I'm still doing the development. So um, any day, will look like maybe I take a meeting in the morning with a writer that I just got from a manager or a writer that I went to school with and that can be anything from like they've already know what's um what real one is making or it's me saying like hey this is what we're looking for um and And what is real one making so we make tv movies 
uh, primarily for the foreign market. And we're like, we have a big deal with one of the biggest broadcasters in France for like a 40 picture output for the romances. So that's my main focus. Wow. Um, so it's rom-coms like the Hallmark Channel and like set it up on Netflix, that kind of tone of like the rom-coms that are coming back. And then we also do thrillers, but right now mostly the romances. And you like that? I love it. I mean, coming from musical theater too, it's like a tonal similarity of like sure. a little bit of like, not cookie cutter, but the beats are familiar. Like the couple meets at a coffee shop and then like they kind of fall in love, then they fall apart, and then they fall back in love. Yeah. There's no like M, Sh- M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end. We're like, oh my gosh, they killed off both the main characters. Right. We're only 20 minutes in. Yeah. Cool. So how many hours a week do you work now? So Monday through Thursday, I go into the office like pretty much nine to five. It's a little fluid if like I have a meeting in the morning or a lunch with another producer who can make something for us in like Florida. So then I'd meet with them or I'm sitting at my desk, like reading a script or reading an outline and giving notes. Uh, But it's pretty much nine to five. And then Fridays, I have a little more flexibility to like stack my meetings. So I'm not always leaving the physical office. Sure. How long does it take you to work through a script now? I'm pretty quick, depending on how good it is. If the script is in rough shape, then it'll take longer because it's pulling apart things like, okay, well, structure takes a while. So you got to look at the whole thing and then go back and look at the pieces or dialogue is takes a while because it's like then I'm noting a bunch of things. And when I note things, I don't want the I don't want to like spoon feed the writer like a, a direct line note or I don't want to um, put something in their mind. Like I want to point something out, give a suggestion on the direction it needs to head on and then still keep it a collaborative process because like the writer is such an important part of this they're not just the person sitting at their computer with final draft sure so sometimes those take a bit longer an average script our scripts are like 103 pages so i'll work through that in like an hour and a half if it's in a solid shape wow that's pretty fast i'm a quick reader yeah after like doing it for a while that's like real time right yeah like giving back notes and everything for a good one yeah um uh, one that needs more work could be like my whole day and it at, so at the point that you're getting the script, is that something that's already going to be a go? Because this this real one is, uh, it's everything, right? Oh, the whole kit and caboodle? Yeah. So we have a process where um, all source pitches from either like a writer from talent who wants to be attached to an idea. I'll create the pitch myself and then attach a writer. But that goes through like a concept approval process. And is that is the writer getting to that from through their manager or is this like a submission that they put on your website? There's a couple different ways. Um, I'll source IP from there's like different IP websites. There's one called Inktip, which okay. writers can put their full scripts and outlines up on. And then uh, if you're a producer, you can get access to it. I will reach out to people that I know from other jobs or from school directly. And then sometimes if I have a relationship with a manager, they will send me their contacts so it's a little bit of like sometimes i'll meet someone in a coffee shop we'll start talking they're like oh i wrote on a series for all these years and want to try a rom-com interesting and what kind of like what kind of budget is there like a a baseline for this So we work in low budget and it's hallmark is low budget as well but most of the tv movie world is like under a million it's really creative how people work around that and make it look as good as anything else and tax credits are basically our best friend um that's why most of our movies are shot in canada interesting so what like do you have a ballpark figure on what the difference would be if something if you shot it in canada versus if you shot it in the states you know sometimes we can like we can put for hallmark for instance because i did a little more involvement um with the budgets at hallmark a movie would be like 
on paper maybe like two million but with all the tax credits we'd be like three million so we'd have that much to work with in tax credits but we would actually only be putting up two million of the money gotcha that's incredibly significant it is and it's a it's like a sticky system with how you do it just because it's like point values it's like you get points if your actors are canadian if your lead actors are canadian if your director is canadian wow and some of it is like that's not my like i don't fix the numbers on that i don't um build the team so we get all the points but that is someone's like particular job of making sure we have that because it is such an important part of the budget sure so you lose a person that you want sometimes because they're of their nationality or whatever like that's yeah and it's just um it's in a way it's cool because canada does it to protect canadian artists sure um so it's not just like americans shipping all their crews and teams up to canada to use the spaces and the cheaper locations so it's to promote like using canadian dps and directors but it is sometimes like with talent that's where the biggest challenges are because they're because everyone plays by these rules the talent pool they're just small and you see the same faces over and over sure and these are all non-union actors i assume some of them are many of them are union actually because we have to play with sag down here too but some of them are and some of them aren't oh so it's just a movie under the sag super low budget waiver gotcha that makes sense so how long is like what's the development process for something like this so you have a script that you're reading you 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 love it when do we see that hit uh i guess french tv so we'll i'll back up a bit to the concept like say something gets greenlit at concept which is usually a two-pager then development will be about one and a half to two months to get through multiple drafts i usually give like four weeks to build the first draft because we're on a really quick timeline at my company so two months is usually to get the script that then we will green light for production after that it's about another month and then we'll hit camera and then after that we have about two months maybe three months until it's like the finished picture wow then it goes overseas that's so tight it's fast that's super fast. fast i imagine that creates a lot of headaches it can and um not all of them move that fast because some of them are like some of the writers have been doing it for a long time so they just have it like it's like they have the muscles to work this fast in the formula that we work in so they can do it and then i always want to bring in new writers i want to give people who are greener a chance too so then sometimes those processes i'm able if i have the fast people working simultaneous with the newer people i can give them a little more time sure Maybe this is asking too much, but what does a writer typically make on something like this? It depends. Like in the broad scope of TV movies, like it's it's really proportionate to the budget. So like a Hallmark writer may make like, well, it depends on the residual breakdown too. So it, it's not as much as you'd make if you're like writing features or working on a series. Like maybe you net like 35K. Oh, wow. 35,000. That's kind of a lot because this is a starting ground for a lot of writers, right? TV movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot of exposure to uh, TV movies. It's funny. Hallmark's had such an upswing with like the political divide in the country. So they've kind of gotten on the map a little more. And then like Netflix has tried to copy with their Christmas movies and Apple TV is following suit and Hulu has them. And this genre is coming back. And I think what writers probably don't know, or maybe they do know, but a lot of it's low budget, which means like we only work with non-union writers. Um, we don't work with WGA writers because our budgets are small. Sure. Um, so we can't afford it. 
proportionately. And so I am going to people who just graduated, who don't have credits, but have a stellar short that they send me. And I can see that they can craft a character and put heart into a story and have believable relationships on a page. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I don't need to see that you wrote for a series or I don't need a manager like behind you. Like, if this is good, then I'm going to do that. And I think a lot of TV movies too have executives who are from a same philosophy or even like similar age range of like, I'm pretty like generally new. Like I've had a lot of experience, but I'm new at this and I want to give other people who are new at this a chance. So even just having that philosophy, but um, the turnover too for writers is like, this is an awesome place to be because if I work with a writer who can write a script and we can send it to camera in three months, I'm going to work with you infinitely like you will make like five of them a year maybe more so even though like the sticker price for one script isn't like you're not gonna like faint in happiness if you look at five like you could be you'll be making like six figures yeah Um, you're a new writer who's breaking in like tv movies are great because they move fast you get to see an idea that you created end up like shot and produced and likely on some broadcasters or some streamer in a short period of time where sure. like features take like seven years yeah sometimes. yeah yeah when you hear about those the timelines on that it's like I, how am i going to be this excited about an idea seven years from now right are you kidding me like i'm already through the stuff that i wrote last week that's not of interest to right. me <laughs> it's like what is this again yeah uh why did i care about any of this so I, this is so fascinating that the timeline is that tight. I'm I'm really surprised that it is it's that tight. Do they have do you guys have like your own production studios in Canada that are essentially just chock full? It's just like a rotating Yeah. Um and sometimes the timelines we can have a little more time to breathe, but right now we're fulfilling an order. Um we have production hubs. Uh we have two in Vancouver, um, one in Toronto, and then um we have like a partner producer up in Ottawa. And then we have people, uh, one crew in L.A. and then one crew in Atlanta that are both partner producers. So when we can't when we filled all of our production hubs, which are Vancouver to Vancouver's and Toronto, then we have to start outsourcing to partner producers who will do it on our behalf. And then they get a fee for producing it. Gotcha. And how often are you on set with your job? Is that an aspect of it? Um, it is right now. My job is really important that I keep turning the scripts over so I'm not on set as often but I was on I I go here and there and sometimes it's based on say we have like a new director who's maybe a little more high profile we're trying them out for the first time then I'll fly up to take them to dinner make sure everything's working out for them kind of make sure they have a warm welcome to the company and same thing with talent or I'll fly up if it's like a problem on set what do you have an example of a problem that you've had to fly up for if a script is like really challenging and maybe we don't have as experience of like a creative exec on set so then and and this is especially if we already have a buyer and we know the specificities of what the buyer needs on screen like this comes up with the thrillers because they want like particular kind of suspense particular kind of action on screen in a really specific like tonal range so something like that I would maybe go up for the first couple days to make sure like we're setting the tone right or if there's like a stunt or if there's like a a trying scene like an abduction scene to make sure it's hitting the tone for the network interesting what don't you like about this job i wish there were so we essentially make especially with just focusing on the rom-coms 
we make like the hallmark style like it's a small town it's very sweet or we make like the classic rom-com but all of it's a little formulaic like i wish i could just throw in like a stoner comedy sure or something that's more indie or something that like maybe doesn't end with them falling in love but like you see a relationship and then it falls so it it is a lot of the same but Um, that's not what buyers want right like could you sell somebody has a a rom-com where they don't end up together i mean somebody could sell it but our company has the reputation of doing like hallmarky content and doing the the true rom-com so our buyers just don't want it sure sure i think someone could or like if you approach a netflix or something but as an overall strategy we don't have a lot of room to uh deviate so how much of the i'm blown away that you get through a script in an hour and a half with notes if it's good i mean anything in that timeline that's incredible um how much of that is because you're like oh we're at page page 60 and we haven't had this happen yet is that are are you kind of like giving your notes to the formula that you're looking for versus like this is what the writer wanted and we're going to see if we can make this is it essentially like making the writer fit into what you need or is it making what the writer wrote um fit like you fitting into what the writer wrote i think um is there a more convoluted way to ask that question (laughs) if there is i'd love to take a stab at it yeah let's try it again um i always want it to be like the best meeting in the middle especially because coming from hallmark hallmark is very like and then they almost kissed on this page but they don't and on this page they have to have kissed we don't have those regiments but there is still like when i meet a writer when we start a project i am like there are certain things we have to accomplish in the script so with that awareness it is like um we used to say like it's a box but like you can change the shape of the box it's a heart-shaped box it's a star-shaped box so you're fitting in a box but the box can still be fun sure so it is when i'm shaping the notes it is like we have to accomplish a certain arc of the relationship. I try my best to be like, if I like what's on the page, even if it's not in the shape, to use it as the clay and not try to be like, let's throw it all away. Try to work with what's there. But sometimes it is like within our our bounds of what we have to do, you have to kind of be like, sorry, they can't fight on page 30. Sure. They have to be flirting. At the end of the day, it's a business. A- at the end of the day, it's a business. Yeah. Which I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, the my friend wrote a script and then took it to this producer and they just killed their dreams. And I'm like, I like to think I'm not the killer of dreams, but I probably sometimes am the, am the killer. Yeah, you've maybe squashed a few, but that's, that's a small portion uh, compared to all the dreams you've made come true. Right. Yeah. For writers, young writers, especially to see their stuff on TV or, or getting out in the world, getting paid just to put stuff down on the page. That's true. That's a feeling that you, you give to somebody that they, like, they never forget that. The first time somebody sells something, come on, that's a huge I moment. I hope so. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the amount of times that a producer stomps on their stuff, like, that's going to happen all the time, right? That's the, if, you, if you can't handle that, you, you just got to right. get out. That's what the business is. So where do you want to go with all of this? What do you want to do? It's interesting because... I, when I graduated, I teetered a lot between New York and LA and ultimately chose LA because I felt like if I came here, I didn't have to exactly choose like just one thing. Like looking at New York, I'm like, I basically have to come here and if I want to be a performer, I'm a performer and I'm up at 4 a.m. going to EPAs and I'm probably waiting tables at night and that's my life. In LA, I feel like I could embrace this opportunity of following a development career, but then still do improv at night, still like hone my comedy chops. And what's exciting about the job I'm in now, like not only have I moved up the ranks in development, but I have access to people who shape ideas and who buy ideas. And I have time to keep creating my own ideas on the side. 
and because like and I'm really grateful for my Hallmark experience, but that is a really narrow type of content. This is a little less narrow, um, and I want to keep moving further away from that. So then maybe one day, like, a, a company that is more comedy-focused or does, like, broader things and has a broader span of what they create, sure. I could be like, hey, I want to write it, I want to produce it, and maybe I want to throw myself in it. Nice. Well, it sounds like uh, you sound like you're so methodical and about how you're going about all of this i'm really impressed uh to think of like fresh out of school taking all these meetings with people and getting out there and being proactive in that i feel like that's a lot of that's a step that a lot of people don't take but that's what kind of separates the the people who make it and the people who don't yeah and i think embracing it as like an opportunity to just make connection and know like yes you have to hustle but like it's not all about the hustle it's about like taking the time to be like okay embrace these opportunities but follow what you want to and take the time to be like do I have all the time to do what I want because I feel like some people fall out of school and they're like I really have to just pound the pavement take all these meetings do all these things but then fall into a job that like looks great on paper but isn't what they want yeah but yeah I kind of I felt like I had to do it to survive in this town, like to just make things happen. I don't think you always have to like speed through. uh... So how long have you been out of school? I graduated in 2017. 2017. This is incredible. That's amazing that you've, you've had this insane progress and these multiple career, like you've already moved through so many of the initial steps on this. It is. Yeah. I am uh, I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity that I've had to and also like I it is surprising I mean it's it is a lot to I mean I would also like to point out like yeah sure you're lucky but you also created your own luck by getting after it and keeping in touch with these people that's impressive that's a that's a type of skill that a lot of people don't have is that like how do you the networking aspect that we were talking about earlier like how do you balance that hey I'm here but I don't need anything but don't forget about me that whole thing which is huge in this industry and i think across whatever aspect you choose to pursue yeah i think that like people are bottom line whether you're in a corporate office you're working at a network you're on a set like people just don't want to work with assholes like like this these jobs are tough and people want to work with people who are good people that they want to spend time with that will come through for them and that are just like enjoyable to be around sure Um, so that's like the balance of like remember who I am, let's make a connection, and being like, I'm giving you your space. I think that's that's a skill that takes time to finesse, and some people take more time than others to realize, like, eagerness is great, but over-eagerness can be not great for you either. Keep it in check. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like you just want to turn the dial down a little bit, because it does give off if you're, if you're pretty green, if you're like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Or it's a, an, an email in your inbox every week, which I always am like, oh, I'm so happy that they're excited. But there's like a there's like a rhythm, there's a music to checking in with people. Definitely. And you learned it at such a young age. Yeah, it, it's like a sense thing, too. Uh, I think putting yourself in situations like for people who are still in school, like put yourself in as many situations that are professional or professional adjacent to learn like how those um, environments work. How to act. You got to learn how to act. It's like another, yeah, it's like another job in itself of like being a professional. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, so I was in business before this and I remember like I, when I found that out, it's like, oh, this is like these people are all playing roles that because we're at this company, this is what you have to do. And then I quit shortly thereafter because it's like, I don't this isn't what I want to do. 
I remember also a guy was like, oh, I love working here. We get all the bank holidays and the federal holidays. Or it was like two kinds of things. <laughs> and I was like, you love your job for the days that you don't have to be there. And now as I get older, I kind of start to see that aspect. But at the time, fresh out of school, I was like, that's the most depressing thing I've heard. You're picking a <laughs> job based on when you don't have to go. That's That seems sad. But that's life. Everybody needs their vacation time. I know. I remember I was working like a lot of, of hours, like weeks on weeks on weeks. And my mom's like, I'm sorry if I ever like gave you the wrong impression that working is supposed to be fun. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, wait. I went, in, in, I went into entertainment. Like some of this is supposed to be fun. Yeah. What does your mom do? Um, she worked in, so she went to school for English and was a writer for a while, then was in the coffee business and, and then medical, like, uh, sales for, okay. but now she's retired and like goes to the gym and enjoys her life. Hey, that doesn't, it goes to the gym though. That's impressive. Oh yeah. She's a gym rat. 100%. I always find that to be so admirable in people. It's like, how do you, how do you choose to do it all the time? Yeah. I feel like some people find it like an addiction, like my mom yeah. definitely does and to the point where if she doesn't go she's like i didn't get to go yeah to each their own i that would be an addiction i would love to like have to kick <laughs> it's like oh man i gotta stay home i can't, <laughs> can't lift way too miles. many weights yeah yeah um so what are like the and maybe don't have an answer to this question but like what are your where do you see like the next year to three years um going for you hmm um, you know, I don't know at this point. I love my company I'm at just because it is kind of crazy that I'm getting my first two EP credits um, this year that are like... And can you talk about what that what that means in terms of like your responsibilities and um, why that is such a big step for yeah, you? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a little funny because at Hallmark, um, they work in teams of two executives, which once you hit production, you're in constant communication. You're approving wardrobe. You're approving locations. You're watching dailies. You're giving notes on everything from the actress's hair to like, hey, the performance isn't working out for me. So I was doing that there, but now it's just me. So I do all of that. And I basically, sometimes I explain it like I'm like the coach of the production. So like each part of the team, like I coach the writer and then I coach all the departments once we come together and the director is like my assistant coach. So the director has everything that I'm, I'm representing the brand um, sure. and the original creative idea. They have all that in mind. So then they keep it together on set and then we go to post and then it's like the post supervisor is the assistant coach. And it's like, how do we pull this edit together to be what the brand wants, what the original idea was and what we can sell from what we created uh so basically like babysit it through all those steps until we put music on it and uh color correct it and then send it to our sales team and so you don't have any interaction with the sales aspect of it like that side of the not business not so much unless i happen to have a connection of my own okay. or um especially domestically like foreign i don't really touch that other than knowing what they want for the market and trying to infuse it into what i'm producing domestically because there is some overlap in how things are pitched maybe i have a relationship at netflix or maybe i have a relationship at hulu and at that point because i have the relationship then i might jump in to be like hey we made this movie would you check it out as opposed to one of our sales reps because that person knows me sure just like anything else like yeah. knowing somebody is going to get you further mm -hmm. cool what are the elements or aspects of your job that, that are kind of like, you wouldn't think this is part of my job, but I actually have to do this? Um, a funny one the other day was 
um, and I was helping a colleague because we bounce things off each other. We got a picture of the actress's hair that we had just cast, and she had streaky highlights. And uh, like part of the job was like looking at her hair with the highlights and being like, does this look good enough? Or does she need to dye her hair for the role? Like she just came off a of vacation. Like, does she need to color her hair to look like the ideal female lead? And that's some of the job where I'm like, oh, I don't love this part. So what you're saying, streaky highlights. Um, I've never highlighted my hair. That's you like it's grown it. out. Um, or it looks like someone like took their fingers with color and went like that. So it's like stripes as opposed to like a. Oh, so it was like a purpose design. Yeah. Or like a not a not a well blended. And this was recently. I feel like that look hasn't been in since like the 90s. Yeah, So it might have just been like a a not well done dye job. But it was our job as producers to look at it and be like, do we need to tell her to color her hair? So it's funny things like little things. What was the verdict? Oh, she needs to color her hair. And you have to deliver that conversation or somebody else? Fortunately, will either go through like their reps. Or if she's already on set through the hair and makeup department gotcha. or through the creative exec who's on the ground. Other funny ones are like, we just did a wedding movie. So I'll get a picture of a cake and it's like, do we put pearls on the cake or do we not put pearls on the cake? And it's like the pearls are like the tiniest little thing. Yeah. But it's like the wedding cake in this genre in a wedding movie is like oh. such a pinnacle of like. A lot of people go to weddings just for the cake. Yeah. You can't screw this up. So yeah. it's like pearls or no pearls is like a big question of the day. What did you go with? We went with pearls. What? How? Tell me how you got to that. It's funny. Uh, the character getting married is like a high-end fashion designer. And the style of the clothes she designed and one of the pieces that she designed with pearls is what led us to be like, oh, let's go with the pearls. Yeah, for sure. I think you made the right call on that one. I feel confident in it. Yeah. Given what you've told me about why you made the decision, I think you made a great choice. And it's funny because someone might watch it and be like, this cake is just beautiful with these pearls. And someone might watch it and be like, that's a nice wedding and never notice the pearls. But like they could matter to someone. Yeah. I mean, there's probably somebody, get this, that are they're going to ask for that exact wedding cake. They're going to bring that wedding cake in the picture, the still from the film and say, this is what I want for my wedding. Totally. That's going to happen in France. (laughs) That will likely happen in France. That will definitely happen. I know it'll happen. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. You just designed somebody's wedding cake. Well, you're welcome. Very indirectly, but you did it. Uh, Is there like a typical structure to one of your days when you're in the office? I make my own structure, but what I'll typically do, um, if something is high priority, i.e. like something is shooting and production just gave a bunch of notes because we thought we were going to shoot the movie in summer but now we have to shoot it in Vancouver, January. So it's like suddenly anything that's like romantic and outdoors and like showing the beauty of an outdoor world, like we have to be creative and be like, what location can we find? Like an old bookstore or an old record store that we can transpose the romance onto, keep the scene story-wise as is, but work around the production constraint of um, a location. So that becomes the job of like myself, the director and the writer to figure out how do we do this with what we have. So something like that would be top priority and I would kind of dig into that right away. And that could sometimes take up the whole day between phone calls, between talking to locations, between working with the writer, sometimes just opening final draft. And if it's something as quick as changing a location or changing a line, just doing it myself. Um, And then I'll move on to things that are also high priority being that we have such a quick turnaround, like new pitches from writers. 
And I go about those a couple different ways. So if someone is new to the brand or new to pitching, I will offer them like the opportunity to do a soft pitch. So I'll say, like, give me a couple sentences of your idea um, and then we'll talk about it. And then I'll have you move to the two pager, which is our standard form of submission. But then it doesn't waste their time if they're like, he's a doctor and she's a nurse and they fall in love, but their patient dies. I'm like, we, we can't do that. No. Um, but then they haven't wasted their time with a two pager or if something's really close and I can be like, Hey, I love that this is about baseball. Like it would be great to see X, Y, and Z in this when you move to that next part. So that's another, um, like high priority item I would try to touch on when, right when I get to the office. Do you have a favorite, uh, project that you've worked on? Um, I have one in development right now that I love a lot. That's like a role reversal of 27 dresses which is something we also do in the genre I work on where we'll look at movies that are like darlings of the rom-com genre that people love and be like, how can we reinterpret this? So instead of it being a bridesmaid who's been a bridesmaid 27 times, it's a groomsman who has been the best man 20 times and a reporter who is trying to work her way to the top at a, um, at a newspaper and finds him and profiles him. Interesting. I cannot imagine being a best man 20 times. <laughs> I don't have 20 friends. <laughs> this guy was voted uh, most reliable in his fraternity. So that's why he's done it. Wow. So he's like the, he's kind of the safe choice for a lot of the, the grooms. Of I like, guess he is a safe choice. He's going to get things done. Yeah. He comes through. He's proven it. So like, he's like, yeah. fuck up. Why not? And when and where would we be able to see this when it's available? This is still working. So um, it could be really anywhere. Uh to, to be determined it, it's definitely going overseas uh but domestically we don't know yet and are these the overseas stuff is that in english and and dubbed or we dub it mm -hmm. so because we sell to france is our biggest buyer and we sell to the uk uh germany spain um some territories in like um the asian area uh but we have a bunch of foreign markets and then they just dub the english version and th that's not something that you guys handle you know, I d I'm not entirely positive about that. Mm. I know that we are responsible for the, um, I think we might be responsible for the French too, because that's our direct buyer that has ordered the movies. And then the rest of the sales, I think they, it's either at the point of sale, but then we handle the doubling or they handle it after purchasing the movie. Gotcha. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation and I certainly learned a lot. I really, truly appreciate you taking the time. It's uh, incredibly generous of you. Absolutely. This has been so fun. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Lexi. There you have it, episode two in the books. I hope you took a lot away from that. I know I did. If you like what you heard, subscribe and tell your friends. And if you didn't like it, maybe it's you.